Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Bobby Regan of Barstool Sports. Bobby, as always, man, appreciate it. How are you doing this afternoon? Good, man. How are you doing? Well, we're, we're doing good, and I want to start with this because I'm sure this is something you've, you've thought about or been asked about, dealing with college basketball and dealing with the Final Four that we now have officially set. Because of the lack of power teams or the lack of teams that haven't made the Final Four, whatever it may be, do you feel like this is bad for basketball or it's, it's a bad tournament or a bad Final Four that no one wants to watch? Or do you think none of that matters, people are going to love it, people are going to watch it, and it actually maybe is a little bit better when you have new teams? I mean – both to a degree like it's hard to argue when what thursday friday set historical records for viewings and that's all 15 over a two with 15 over a one and everything else like that but i think the more casual fans they want cinderella to die you know in the sweet 16 or not make the sweet 16 um because we start getting standalone games and now florida atlanta kansas state was an awesome standalone game but we've also seen, you know, UNC St. Peter's last year, while it drew a lot of numbers, wasn't a great game. And the 2011 Final Four, I mean, VCU, Butler, great story. That game stunk. That's one of the worst games I've ever watched. And there's a variety of reasons, whether it's shooting in the dome. Now, I think it's a little different because Florida Atlantic is good. Like, this isn't, this isn't VCU, this isn't George Mason. This isn't even Loyola. Like, Loyola was, was, was a good team. Florida Lane's by far the most talented team outside of probably the Butler team that had Hayward just because you have, a, you know, a lottery pick and, and Sheldon Mack played in the NBA. But this is a, a good team. They shouldn't have been a ninth seed. But it is, it is weird. Like, San Diego State plays ugly basketball. I mean, they've won, but it's, their games aren't enjoyable. <laughs> they come, they're close because they can't score. But it's like... Me personally, I think the best tournaments, and this has been a good tournament, the best tournaments end up being mayhem early, best teams went out late. And that's when it sets up because it is, it's the best and worst postseason, right? Like it's the most entertaining postseason. It's mayhem everywhere, but it's the worst way to determine who's the best team. I think we've said it before, but, but go look at the champions and over since like, let's just say 2010 and around number. It's been like three times, four times the best team has actually won. And it's like people love using NCAA tournament as an argument, and it doesn't say the whole story of the season. Bob, UConn is the favorite going into this tournament, and they're the only team that's been there before. They're the only ones that have the Final Four experience. So uh, how do you see that matchup with Miami and UConn? And if UConn is somehow able to get past Miami, how do you see the other teams as far as matchups? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of crazy when people say UConn is the team with that has made the Final Four. It's like no one on this team has made a Final Four. Dan Hurley's never made a Final Four. The program has. So this is still and, – and people – I'm not saying you, but everyone gets kind of caught up when you're talking about programs. Where it's like, well, did this team make a, like, make a run or did the program happen to make a run before? But, yeah, I mean, UConn was – the number one team in the country for all of November and December. So they're the one team that's not shocking to be here. Miami's going to be interesting. Miami can score. And, I mean, we saw what UConn did against Gonzaga, but Miami scores with guards. So it's going to be, can they hit enough threes? I don't know how they beat Texas not making threes, but you got to do it. And UConn's offense has been rolling. I don't know how you keep them up the glass, second in the country, offensive rebounding. But 
The other game, I, I like Florida Atlantic. I really think Florida Atlantic played for a national championship. They they have the depth. They can shoot. They they have a seven-foot big man that can play, you know, inside against Mesa from San Diego State. They play teams that are physical. You know, Memphis is physical. Tennessee is physical. So it's not like San Diego State should shock them too much. They played against good defenses. I don't know. I, I really like the Florida Atlantic team. I kind of hope we get an all-Miami final, though. I hope it's Miami-Florida Atlantic. Well, and also you think about the teams that were so dominant this year, like Alabama and Houston. Which one of those teams were you more shocked that didn't make it to the Final Four? Because obviously you could be shocked with both of them, but which ones were you like, man, I, I thought that that was a shoe-in? So I think it's probably Alabama because they have, obviously Brandon Miller, the second or third best prospect, and, and he lived up to the hype on the court, obviously, of, of being good. They have the experience. They kind of have the right blend of seniors and freshmen. And I know Jairus Walker is a, a projected first-round pick for Houston and Thatcher's All-American, but it just kind of felt like it was Alabama's year. They could beat both ways. They, You know, the way they, they play fast, Houston, the slow tempo, kind of. I, I don't love, like, when you're that talented, just, just play. Um, so I think it might have been Alabama. And even when you look at the draw, right, like Alabama had – San Diego State, uh, you know, a, a program. San Diego State can't score, and they beat you at their own game. And then you would have gotten either Creighton or a 15 seed Princeton. The fact that they didn't get out of that region is baffling to me. Houston, at least that region was kind of brutal, right? Like Miami, they won the ACC. Yeah, the ACC down, but they still won it. And they have good talent. They have good guards, and guards matter. And then the bottom half, you have Xavier in Texas. Texas was viewed as a potential one seed, so. We're just looking at the region, I think it's more shocking that Alabama didn't get out. And and I jokingly blogged it, but at what point do we start talking about Nate Oates in March? I mean, this is twice now he's had a top two seed and not make it past the Sioux 16. Bobby, San Diego State, they're the best defensive team that's left in this tournament. And you said you like Florida Atlantic, but is that something with a team that is the best defensive team left has gotten them this far? Is that something that could carry them to a championship, or would you expect better offense to emerge when you get to this point? I think it could carry them for sure. It is it is shocking how bad teams are shooting from three against them, and they play good shooting teams. Charles Furman, Alabama Creighton are all pretty good three-point shooting teams. And, like, can that happen again? Yeah, I mean, it varies to a degree. But at some point, I mean, San Diego State's offense is just tough to watch. And when they don't miss, like when they, they miss, it is a brick through and through. And it's like at some point that's got to hurt them. I just don't know when. I might be wrong. They might win the whole thing. But I just don't trust that offense. Where Florida Atlantic's at least balanced. And if San Diego State has guys that make shots late, you know, they, like Tremel and, and Butler, they make shots late. But, I mean, at some point, not scoring for the first 30 minutes of the game has to hurt them. Speak with Bobby Regan of Barstool Sports here on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Hotline. Now, also, Bobby, with uh, a team as far as you know, not having a McDonald's All-American for like, the first time ever in a Final Four, that, that was really impressive to me because we know that usually, as you mentioned in the beginning, it's not always the greatest indication of figuring out who the best team overall is. But to not have really any like high school superstars coming out is so shocking. Why do, is it just an anomaly? Is it just like, hey, that's just a one-year deal? Or is it maybe 
more towards this is the way college basketball is right now and this is the way that it's moving forward? I think it's more of an anomaly. I mean, that's exactly, it's not a small sample size, right? It's since 1979, I think. Um, so I, I, I feel like it is truly an anomaly. Um, and let's even say, well, the, the talent's getting dispersed more, so maybe it happens more often, right? Like all the McDonald's all Americans aren't going to Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, Carolina, and UCLA. They're going all over, you know, out there on Alabama. They're going to uh, Villanova. They're, they're, they're spread out throughout the, the teams now to where, yeah, it, it, it makes the talent level more even. But even from, like, an NBA standpoint, we say it all the time. Everyone kind of said, like, oh, Villanova did it without NBA teams in 16. Well, they had, like, eight guys from that team. The last team that truly didn't have, like, uh, you go back to, like, Maryland in 02, and it was, like, Steve Blake, and then, well, yeah, Wilcox got drafted, but, like, you know, Dixon wasn't really an NBA guy. Baxter wasn't an NBA guy. It's rare to not have, a, like, high-level NBA talent on a title team. And maybe Jordan Hawkins, for instance, but he's looking at the first-round pick from, from UConn. But, like, who on Florida Atlantic are you looking at being like, that guy's going to play in the NBA? Miami, who knows? Well, you know, they have enough guys. Maybe they have some there. San Diego State. Do they have an NBA guy? Like, it just it feels weird just looking around and being like, there's not a blue blood person here or a, you know, high-end talent here. It's really good college players, which is fun, but it, it does feel more like an anomaly that, you know, maybe we see more where it's like one McDonald's All-American makes it or something like that, but all the stats this year just are weird. Going off that, uh, who are the more impressive players that are left in the Final Four? But, you know, I mentioned Jordan Hawkins from UConn. You know, you can list any player from Miami because it seems like every game someone's different beats you. Um, I love Pack and Wong and, and uh, Poplar's coming on as a, as a young guy. And, you know, is a really good transfer. Miller's been really, really good for them and kind of flying under the radar. But I like Florida Atlantic. John L. Davis just has a little bit of everything. Comes on in the second half every every game. Elijah Martin's really good. You know, Golden won the last game for him, the big guy. I like their freshman point guard, Nicholas Boyd. He's bigger guard. He's 6'3". He doesn't, you know, he's not going to get in 20, but he'll go get you 12, 5, and 5, no problem. And so I think those guys, you know, San Diego State, obviously, I don't want to take away from them, but like, yeah, I like I like Lamont Butler a lot for him, and, and Tremel was really good last weekend. So it again, it's just weird listing these names and like, yeah, these are the guys in the final four. Bobby, one of the things that's also, if you're someone in Arkansas or a Kentucky fan or whatnot, the the SEC <laughs> has not had a Final Four team since 2019, and that was Auburn, which I, I know it makes everybody pretty disgusted, I'm sure, but. Uh, they, they've had a couple of Elite Eight teams. Obviously, Arkansas made the Elite Eight back, uh, a couple of back-to-back years, but every team was eliminated by the Sweet 16. Is that a problem? Like, Is that something that needs to be addressed? Like, how, how does that happen? Because if you're a conference that has gotten so much better basketball, like we know the SEC has, but to go that many years and that many tournaments without having any representation in the Final Four, much less the Elite Eight, uh, how do you approach that? How do you fix that? And how do you try to get the conference a little bit more involved at the high level? I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's it's such a, a crapshoot when you're in the tournament. Like, and it's only three years, right? It's, it's three tournaments, and it's not like 
it's not like the SEC is going in at a bunch of six and eight seeds, right? They're they're hitting high seeds. You know, you get a couple one seeds, two seeds, whatever. It's just it's cyclical. Like it, it really feels cyclical. Now, if it gets to like the Big Ten, where twenty years without getting the team in the Final Four, and I know the Big Ten, you know, it's championship, but if you get to that point, then there's a problem. But three seasons, it's not because you can kind of pinpoint, right? Like, oh, it's a bad shooting night. Oh, it's a bad matchup, and it's not. It's so hard. Like I, I know people look at the tournament as like the end all be all, but it's so hard to sit there and be like, oh, there's a problem. But it's been three years for a conference that's mostly dominated by, let's say, one and a half schools, two schools, where it's Kentucky and then combined Florida and, and Arkansas throughout the years. You have to have players and talent on the floor to get to this point and also win a national championship. But of these teams, which one would you give the coaching advantage to? Oh, man. Um, part of me wants to go to Miami with Laranaga. I think Laranaga is an elite coach. Obviously, this is his second Final Four. He did it with George Mason 17 years ago. Back, you know, he made an Elite Eight last year with Miami. For 73 years old, this guy has adapted more than arguably anyone else in college basketball, where it used to be, you know, he would play the old mid 2000s style. Now it's guard shooting threes and he wants to play fast and he understands everything. And, and you look at what they're doing in the tournament, their defense was a weakness. Well, their defense team beat Texas. So it's, you know, I, I look at Larry Nag, I, I really do think he's an undervalued coach. I give him the slight edge over Hurley. Um, I, I just I just love Larry Nag as a coach. Yeah, you brought him up, and I thought it was fascinating to see. Of course, we know about the George Mason run he had and, uh, and how everything was good there. But since he's been at Miami – he has been there since 2011, which is incredible that uh, he's been there that long. But uh, went to a Sweet 16 in year two, and then went to a Sweet 16 in year five, and then really didn't have either missed the tournament or didn't do anything in the tournament until the 2022 season where he went to the Elite Eight last year. Now he's in the Final Four. Y- you mentioned it. What is it just something he adjusted to get him going here in, 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 the, in March? Was it just adjusting the way that he was supposed to? Why, did, why being there for that long, why has the past couple of years been the most successful for him? I think it's him just adapting to the players. And he went out and got cards that could play, right? Like he had Charlie Moore last year, the transfer from Kansas. He's Miami's hit the transfer portal as well as anyone else in the country. And they, they don't do it to say, oh, now we have a star. They do it to pull out the roster, right? They, they went and got Omie and, and Pack this year and have filled out the roster. Um, so he, he's really good at figuring out, like, okay, here's what we need. And it'll pay off in the long run, and it, and it has. And yeah, and I, I agree. Like it is kind of weird to a degree that he had what, a four-year stretch of kind of nothing, right? You know, eighteen to twenty-one, let's say. And but it's Miami. Like they don't have a basketball history there. They're they're a nothing program, really, until he showed up. So it's it's crazy. Like you look. He's won 63% of his games and has a winning record in the ACC, which was one of the best conferences. Obviously, the last few years have been down, but, like, the dude just finds ways to win. Also part of adapting, uh, not only on the court, but looks like Larinaga is, and he may have always been this way, but it looks like he's a player's coach. He likes to have fun. You see him dancing with the players. That is something that probably is a factor into adapting also, and in the times that we're in now with the players? Not only that, I think more than anything where his quotes about NIL, where he's very open about it. He's like, 
you said, like, hey, the television makes all this much money. The programs make all this much money. Coaches make all this much money. Why doesn't it trickle down to the players? And I know people like to make fun of Miami with John Ruiz and everything, but it's the world we live in. And I'm very pro NIL. I know it's a hot-button issue for the college basketball world. But it's also like he, he says it, and – he, he understands, like, okay, this is for the players. I'm I'm trying to help my guys out because he realized, like, it's, again, it's the world we live in. So he is a player's coach through and through, and you can see the way that the players react to him, the way that they celebrate with him, and 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 more importantly, listen to him, right? There's no, you never hear of a Miami player frustrated with Larry Nagel. I can never recall that sort of story coming out. Is Dusty May the coach of Florida Atlantic next year? Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't he, right? Like, what job is open right now? Why would he leave for Penn State? Right? Like, they can also run back the team. They lose Michael Forrest, uh, the senior off the bench. Maybe they lose some guys to the portal. Who knows? But they could run back the entire team, basically, for next year. And he can also pick and choose where he wants to go. You look at mid-major coaches who have done this run. Well, Shaka didn't leave right away. Uh, Stevens didn't leave right away. Um Larinaga didn't leave right away. Uh, Moser didn't leave right away. And so it's not like you immediately go from a Final Four to this other job. It can happen for sure. But what you can, he can now be picky. And what job out there? I mean, everything's basically filled. Who knows? You know, obviously something could happen. But it's like, would he really leave for Penn State? What's the upside there? Yeah, I think uh, Boca Raton is a, is a pretty cool spot to hang out at and maybe build a basketball program. And uh, and know. he's in a decent program. And I think Florida Atlantic's moving to the American, if I remember correctly. So yeah. it's like he's going to be in a multi-bid league where he can be back in the tournament. And it's like, oh, yeah, this guy's made the tournament three years in a row. Oh, let's go get him for maybe a bigger job than that would have been available this, you know, this offseason. Yeah, it could happen. It could happen. Well, Bobby, as always, man, we appreciate you joining us. Have fun during the Final Four, man. We'll catch up with you later. All right, have a good one.